and our plan to enable that type of bespoke cannabis is primarily in making it easier for you to communicate what your desired outcome or what your needs are and connecting that through to what the end formulation or end product you need is. So we're not necessarily focused on saying, oh, you person with this specific DNA yeah. need this, but we are focused on somebody who knows what they want, being able to find that and absolutely support anything that allows the, the consumer to get a better concept of understanding what they want, mostly because it helps us create better products if the consumer actually understands what they need and what they want. You're listening to To Be Blunt, the podcast for cannabis marketers, where your host Shada Taravi and her guests are trailblazing the path to marketing, educating, and professionalizing cannabis. Light one up and listen up. Here's your host, Shada Taravi. Okay, so hello and welcome back to the To Be Blunt podcast. I'm your host, Shada Tarabi, and today I am joined by Joshua Mallet, the co-founder of Budboard. So Josh, why don't we start by having you tell us where you and your business are based, how long you've been in the cannabis industry, and what exactly Budboard is. Yeah, myself and everybody else in the business are based in Albuquerque, New Mexico currently. It's where we plan to stay. We love it here. Fantastic. Don't tell your friends. Visit, don't stay. Same for so, yeah, same for Texas. We've, we've been in the cannabis industry since about 2016, 2017. I got my medical card in late 2016 and we started the business in 2017. It started out as this menu service that was intended to be installed in stores. When I got my medical card, I was going to storefronts and trying to find products that would help with like my anxiety, my pain. I had really bad chronic pain condition called chronic regional pain syndrome that I was trying to treat. And I just had a terrible time. I'd, I'd go into the storefront. The menus were just white backgrounds, weird names, Alaskan Thunderfuck, 12% THC, $10 a gram. And none of that told you what you needed to know as a consumer. I was going in looking for, is this going to help my anxiety? Is this going to make me anxious? And I had to wait to talk to somebody that hopefully knew that information as soon as I got it. So we built the menu service as a remedy to that. It collected a lot more information about cannabis than just its name, THC content and price. Uh, we collected terpene profiles. We collected more cannabinoids, a photo of it, had people actually put out what they expected to, or what the consumers might expect to feel when they consumed it and showed that to the customer. Now, the difference was you could walk into the storefront. You could say, what do I need? And you could look up at the board and go, oh, well, I'm here for anxiety. That says it should be good for anxiety. Let's get that. And once we started to have a little bit more of a, how you say, following more people actually utilizing the service, I was able to go into storefronts in New Mexico and have that positive experience myself. And I was able to see, hey, I'm coming in for anxiety and the stuff that's good for anxiety across all these storefronts is pretty, pretty similar in terms of the cannabinoid and terpene profile. And I wanted to know why I was able to answer what I like to say, the what question, what do I need? And I'm a very ever curious person. And I wanted to answer the why question. Why is that what helps me? And I saw that the data that we had was very paired. This is good for anxiety. This is what's in it. 
And that's fantastic for machine learning. So we took that paired data set and trained a machine learning algorithm to predict the potential outcomes that a consumer might feel from the product that they took, the actual chemical profile of it, and just the chemical profile. And we're pretty successful with that. We, we were able to successfully train a system that could predict reasonably the outcomes that you might expect to, to feel from an arbitrary profile. And today we utilize that to do recommendation in store. Customers can give a response to a survey about how they'd like to feel and get recommendations back about which products they should buy in order to achieve that. We do reviews and surveys that are explicitly about the customer's experience in terms of patient or consumer outcome. That way we can see which products are actually doing, which things are products that large manufacturers are producing for targeted effects, actually hitting the mark, things like that. Uh, that also happens to bolster our data set pretty good for the machine learning side. And then we also do a healthy dose of product development. Uh, companies will come to us and say that they want a product with targeted effects, like I just said before, uh, and we can help them hit the mark. Uh, a big client of ours is Wana Brands. Uh, we've worked on them with their fast asleep, stay asleep, and their calm. Uh, those are all terpene profiles that we helped formulate. Um, if, if you look at the numbers, they're pretty successful products too. I think that speaks a lot to how successful we are in terms of formulating those. Uh, so it's a very long-winded way to, to answer what we're doing today, but we're, we're doing a lot of things. There's a lot of spinning plates, but it's all in the same direction. It's all very focused on one app. Yeah, I think the thing that stands out to me the most is obviously this move from, it's not even just the changing of the conversation, because I think you and I are examples of, we're longtime cannabis consumers who were feeling defeated at the way that it was like to purchase cannabis. Obviously, you have a leg up to me. You were able to go into a dispensary. Here I am walking into my dealer's house in 2015, 2016, being like, I don't know. Do you have weed? I just want weed. Yeah. I, I had no control over, can I see a COA? What is the terpene profile? Even form factor, of course. But 2016, 2017 was still a really early time for cannabis. And so because you're from New Mexico, your business is based in New Mexico. Also within the last couple of years went recreation. I would love to just hear from you. What was the marketplace like in New Mexico at that time? And I'll also kind of caveat the question with a little bit. I from doing some research, noticed that your technology powered, it's called Oat Foundry, I believe. The Mellotron, they, yeah. Mellotron, that's right. Yeah. So it's a rotating display board, almost like a ticker, like you're at one of those old train stations and mm -hmm. it can display some of the data that is interpreting what I am putting into the machine. Anyways, I was at a party with Grassland. Shout out Grassland. Oh, you like, went to the Grasslands party. Like awesome. four years ago. Yeah. Oh, man, you went to the Yes, party. got to see that in action. But just at the mm. time, it was like, that's cool. But again, I haven't, coming from where I live, you don't have dispensaries that are investing in that at that scale yet. And obviously, I'm sure that's changed. As you highlighted in your intro, you're like, we're getting traction. Mm -hmm. But using New Mexico as the starting ground, was it the starting ground? Were your clients all in New Mexico and you were implementing this with Budboard? Were you going into other markets that were more established, like Colorado? Was there a difference between, which maybe the answer is no, because it's they're all patients, customers, whatever the right word, consumers, <laughs> yeah. were consumers medically consuming before New Mexico went wreck. So I'm just curious, what was the landscape like in New Mexico for you to be launching your business into this? What was the sentiment for some of these 
potential clients of yours, are you specifically going to the retailers because they're at the point of sale where customers are being sold to? Or was it something that you're trying to incorporate with the brands? Like obviously on a cultivation perspective, you're trying to help connect products that would fit into certain effects space for that end consumer. So it's a long jumbled up thought of just what was cannabis like for you in New Mexico specifically when you were launching? And then what was that kind of aha or feedback loop you were getting going into your market? And maybe how has that changed in the last couple of years that not only has New Mexico opened up, but you've obviously seen the surge of cannabis. Just every state aside from mine just seems like they're knocking down doors. So I can imagine you're having, again, more of those new consumers coming into the marketplace and they're like, I don't know what the fuck limonene is. And I don't know what the hell a terpene even is. Mm-hmm. But I want to sleep or I want to feel better. So getting them on that effects-based conversation is certainly something we're seeing more frequency for. So how did you start to observe and navigate that in those early years compared to now? That's a great question. So New Mexico was a very weird market. Frankly, it, it still is sure. for a variety of reasons that we'll definitely get into. But the, the reason that it was weird back in 2017 is because absolutely everything was vertical. It was only medical at the time. And we had very few operators. Uh, I think, I I won't even hazard a guess at the number, far less than 100. I want to say it's probably considerably less than 50 in the entire state. Mind you, we're the fifth largest state by land mass. Very not dense. (laughs) And what was particularly interesting is that, again, everybody was vertical. So you grew the plant. You tested the plant, you sold the plant, the whole nine yards. There was that very little wholesale. I think at the time there was maybe one operator that was just a farm uh, and and sold wholesale to others. And of course, they killed it and they're doing really well now and they have a dispensary. But that kind of meant that we didn't necessarily have to build something that would work great for the mom and pop shop. We were almost building for single state MSOs in a way, because it was these these companies had a user structure, they had a flow where they were bringing in products that they knew a lot of information about. And that wasn't necessarily the norm in other states. A lot of other states have a split licensing system where you're very unlikely to be vertical unless you own a license in every step of the stage. Like California, you're a retailer or you're a grower unless you bought the other licenses. And that's not the case in New Mexico or wasn't until now. And what that meant and what that really led to in terms of allowing Budboard to exist was that they had data on their products. We were able to actually get into storefronts that had access or the ability to gain access to the data that we need, primarily those turkey profiles. And it was also medical. So they were very focused on effects and outcomes even though there are a lot of people that are still just buying by THC content. Um, The interesting thing about any purely medical state too, is that while the the program is medical and you have to have a card and you have to be approved, that, that, that doesn't mean that every medical card is valid per se. There's, I think it's ridiculous to try to avoid the fact that there are card mills in every medical state in there's a lot of people that are buying in medical states that are buying for recreation. And even those recreational users are buying for outcome at the end of the day, for regardless sure. as to whether or not they're medical. And, and so that affects basis matters. And that's why you need the terpene data. So as we started to collect more and more of that data, 
Sorry, I've lost a bit of the plot on the question. <laughs> I've answered a little bit what it was like in New Mexico back. I guess. Started, let me interject then and kind of maybe turn it in a little bit of a different direction. Because it's really fascinating for me. Okay, so on the marketing side, and this is, again, another loaded question. I don't think I have like very similar straightforward questions. I might, this is like where my brain goes. <laughs> Presently today, as a consumer, I'm a marketer, I'm a business owner. So I feel like I hit this from all these angles. I can't say, hey, take my CBD oil for sleep. Mm -hmm. So I can be creative. I can use the word maybe relaxing or restful, which you're certainly seeing people do. But you started the idea for Budboard in an interesting time where it was really through medical. And at that point, you have a doctor who is saying, hey, Josh, you have a condition mm -hmm. and whatever it is, pain, PTSD is like a qualifying condition here in Texas for a medical program. Now I can say cannabis can work for PTSD, for pain, for whatever insert the condition is. It, it's just, it's hard because the industry, you can't say some of those things that are effects based. And so I'm wondering how you reconcile some of those conversations. How has Budboard had to evolve? Is it just changing some of the, the terms or the outcomes? Like it's not, this is going to, hey, you came in because you have insomnia and cannabis can help with insomnia, chronic insomnia. Mm -hmm. And this is explicitly for sleep. It's now, hey, you want to have a restful night to rest? You can use mm -hmm. cannabis for that. So I'm just wondering how you reconcile where the industry is going with some of the federal stuff that's happening that's preventing us from accurately speaking about effects based. Mm -hmm. And then the second component of that is maybe originally because it was through medical, you had patients coming in because they had a medical reason. Mm -hmm. But now that you have new consumers hitting the marketplace, I'm just curious what you're experiencing, whether it's in New Mexico explicitly, it's where all your clients and Budboard exists across the United States or even internationally. Are consumers coming in and saying, hey, I'm looking for this effect? Or are they being marketed to saying, these are the effects. It fits into one of these categories. This is how you should shop now. Yeah, we do a lot of formulation. And of course, with formulation goes marketing. Formulation has to match marketing, has to match formulation, right? And ideally, the marketing is entirely based off what your outcome is in effects-based products. There are products out there that are marketed towards sleep that say sleep on them. And they're legally allowed to say sleep on them because of what they have in them. There are certain ingredients or components that you can uh, include sure. in a product. That like melatonin. Says, exactly. Right. You're spot on. So yes. if it has melatonin in it, you can say asleep in the marketing or you can say sleep in the marketing. That's, that's one way. But what it really serves to prove is that there's always a way to de-risk your language. We didn't talk to the FDA directly uh, when we started doing this, but we talked to people that had a history or a past of working at the FDA. Sure. And one of the most valuable conversations we had was somebody that worked in this type of enforcement. And that's pretty much a quote from them. You can de-risk anything. It, it matters how you say it and what you say and what's in your product too. Taking all that into account, a lot of it is changing language in certain cases asleep to relaxed and implying that with the rest of the marketing, put it on a, a purple bottle, have right, people that are dreaming, stars. you know, dream berry. Yeah, exactly. And you'll notice that even products that are marketed as sleep down here, when they're sold up in Canada, they're not because all well, the regulation's different. 
And that's even the case state to state in, in cannabis here. Not necessarily for explicit product marketing, but a, a great example we have is that recommendation system that you saw, uh, which I'll, I'll touch on a note of that with, with what you saw versus what it is now. Yeah, okay, but cool. That recommendation system takes an input based off of mood. It says, I want to, you know, how energetic do you want to feel? Uh, how relaxed do you want to feel, et cetera? And those are all very uh, recreational terminologies. We sold the, the recommendation system to a customer in Ohio and had a hell of a time trying to get language approved with the medical board in Ohio. They looked at it and said, uh, that's too recreational. Said, okay, I get it. You're a medical only state. We came back with more medical terminology. And then they said, that's too medical. I was like, I don't know what you want. <laughs> Just tell me and I'll put it on the thing. Uh, yeah, exactly. But there's a whole host of reasons that the things were difficult there, mostly having to do with how often the board needs and things like that. But what we ended up deciding to do was they had approved some terminology about terpenes and what you could say about certain terpenes. And we were able to modify our recommendation system, which is terpene based in the first place to, instead of when you increase the calm or the peaceful slider, it increases limonene. It's just called limonene, And there's a little thing off to the side that says limonene may be calming or whatever the approved language is. It's a very roundabout way to say, yes, you do have to be sensitive to that. Uh, be smart. Don't expose yourself to any risk in terms of saying stupid things about products. You can still say a lot as long as you say it the right way. And that's really all the FDA is about. Don't lie. Don't say things that are patently untrue and don't say things that could potentially be harmful to a user at the end of the day. And I, I can respect that. Yeah, it's something that obviously businesses like yourself through trial and error, through the lessons learned, as well as I think just the industry at large, we are learning what we can and can't say. I think I mm -hmm. get those FDA warning letters and it's always like somebody who just didn't pay attention. But at the same time, I do think that the goalpost is moving. I interviewed a gentleman, which this would have been sometime last year, which is a really great episode if people want to listen because he similarly to your experience of talking to people who either came from the FDA or did business with the FDA, he was on the pharmaceutical side and he mm -hmm. was a marketer at an ad agency that was marketing these big pharmaceutical drugs. And so he was basically like, yeah, well, in this part of their guidebook, it says you can't say this, but then in this part, it says <laughs> you can if and but. And so yep. there's a little bit of contradiction in what their mm -hmm. language and rules say, and which is, I think, just like a big pain point for us as an industry. It's no surprise it's a pain point. Even just the time, I feel like a lot of the episodes recently, I think the last one I just had was with a cannabis doctor actually based mm -hmm. out of Ohio. And it's remarkable to me, you're seeing shows like Dope Sick and Painkiller pop up right now, the opioid epidemic. Obviously, I shared with you, I'm going to go see a pain doctor after today's conversation, not because I want opioids, but because I'm in pain and hey, yeah. cannabis is only doing so much. I'm actually trying to figure out some other stuff with him that is not medication based, but it begets the reality. I'm seeing all these things happen around me and I'm like, and you touched on it, whether you're taking it medicinally or recreationally, we are all looking to feel better in our bodies at this mm -hmm. time of our life, whatever that may be, young, old, sick, healthy, you're still looking for something, you still want to feel better. And cannabis is obviously ripe for that because it has these medicinal and recreational 
applications for it. But then when you are marketing it, it, it's just, it's like that to me is the aha, which is why we've started to, as a brand at Restart, have those conversations more based on effects, based on mood, because yes, a customer might not know that cannabis can be the thing for them to reduce their anxiety or to have a better night's rest. But if I can help them see that it's a potential possibility, then obviously it connects the dots. Maybe it desigmatizes it, makes it a little less scary. Oh, if I would take melatonin for sleep, why wouldn't I take CBN for sleep? Or something with linalolin or, you know, introducing some of those chirping profiles and conversations. But it still is such a delicate dance. And so that's why your company, especially when I saw the Mellotron at that Grasslands party, I was like, oh, this is cool. It's obviously very interactive. At that time, obviously it's changed as you alluded to. At that time, it was a party setting. I can Mm -hmm. only imagine what it was like in a dispensary. I think that y'all had partnered with a cultivation company and they had Mm -hmm. some pre-rolls or some bud at the time. And I was inputting stuff into the Mellotron. I was playing with, you were saying, my energy. I was turning the dial up and it looked really cool. It was like, gosh, I'm going to, butcher the term, but whatever it is, like when you have like a guitar and you plug the guitar in an amp board or something, yep, it looked like, so, yeah, and you have those little meters and it was very fun, very engaging. And so I saw the vision. If I'm a consumer walking into a dispensary and I, I don't know what to do, how to do it. Hey, here's this really non-threatening, very friendly looking, maybe mm-hmm. something familiar to me, little device. Let me just flick some buttons and outcomes. You, you should try this strain because of based on what you said. And I had a great experience. I went went to the little bud tender gal and she gave me the strain that was associated with what the board had said. So I can see the application for customers, but it's changed. So I want to hear how it's changed. And then now in implementation, because that was like four or five years ago. How mm-hmm. are you seeing dispensaries implement bud board? And is it more on the bud board side with the data? Is it the Mellotron component? Is it also on the what is it you're called? I was like, I wrote it down somewhere and I was going to say it's specifically the effects lab, which is what <laughs> you're doing with Juana and your other partners. What is the breakdown of Budboard that you're, you feel like presently your business is focusing on versus like where you started out in the industry? Yeah, we originally had that traction with the menu service way back in the day. Of course, then we had a, a large worldwide event where people no longer were going into brick and mortar that we don't need to talk about. <laughs> But we lost a lot of market when people no longer were shopping brick and mortar. And so we really had to flip and start focusing on other stuff. And that's really been the recommendation of the review platform in terms of software. And we have had a lot of traction in the recommendation system lately. The type of system that you saw at that Grasslands party way back in the day, it was like the concept car of it in a way. We actually won a Clio, uh, I think a bronze Clio. For oh, that amazing. Particular, yeah, thank you for that particular Congrats. iteration of it. We changed it from having the knobs and it being like a point-based system, being sliders so that it was more a mix and match of the moods. And then we just streamlined everything. So the Mellotron itself is the device that takes in the user input. The split flap display that, that it can display on is just one of the add-ons to it. That's actually Oak Foundry's main business is the split flap displays, but they do the analog hardware that's all made in the U.S. You can also, in some iterations, or in the newer iterations, scan a QR code off the Mellotron and it'll show you your recommendations on your phone. You can save that, share it to social media, bookmark it, come back to it if you're back to that dispensary, et cetera. 
But we also have a tablet-based system that's considerably less expensive. Like I said, that was more of the concept car. This is more of the uh, Honda Civic. Gets the job done. Still looks good if you're getting one of the newer ones. <laughs> I know, Jimmy. <laughs> but it, it, it's something that's intended to be like on a tablet in the store. It's supposed to be attractive for your consumers and customers to come in. Maybe while they're in the waiting room or they're waiting to get checked in, they interact with it just like they might a paper menu, but they get a much more actionable response and outcome from utilizing the recommendation system than they do the things like a paper menu or even just a static menu that's digital. Uh, so that, that's really where we've been seeing a lot of the, the traction on the software side. We have been seeing a lot of traction on the effects lab side as well. Uh, a lot more people are coming to us to start doing products. We've had some pretty impressive partners, some that I'm very happy to vocally speak about, like Wana, some that we're less, less allowed to speak about that I really wish I could, and more on the market coming soon. So, so on the effects lab side, to dig into that a little bit more, it sounds like it's based on user-generated data that's been collected based mm -hmm. on the feedback that people are giving with just cannabis in general. It could be other people's products not explicit to using Wana as a prime example because mm -hmm. they're on your website. I know we can talk about them publicly <laughs> and they're also very well known. Just everybody, Indeed. for the most part, if you're in the industry, you know who Wana is. Mm -hmm. You're taking all this data that's just general data of consumers consuming different products, and then you're distilling it down into profiles based on terpenes. It sounds like everything is really driven by terpenes. Mm -hmm. Dumb question, Amnesty, how many terpenes are you capturing in this data mm -hmm. intake? I know COAs can vary mm -hmm. report to report, even state to state, even just different business to business, like what they're actually capturing. And so I think there's maybe... I don't know, I'll say eight to 10 major terpenes that I feel like are like right, the right. ones that are like triggering things. Are you going beyond those eight to 10? Mm -hmm. I guess I'm trying to debunk it a little bit. I don't want to distill it down if that makes sense. It sounds more rudimentary than I'm sure it is, but at the same time, we're just helping break down the data that exists. If you read a COA, you would see this strain has X percentage of myrcene versus X percentage of lenalool. And if I'm educated and I know that those are two cannabinoids that when I take are going to give me the effect that I'm seeking, that I'm going to be looking for those types of products versus in this case, you're approaching a brand and the brand is like, I want a profile that's going to be more for sleep, more for energy, more for whatever. And then you're using the data to create that formulation specific to that outcome. Yeah, this all works based off of the machine learning model, which okay. uses the anecdotal data from reviews and from responses, from, you know, way back in the day on the menu service as well, using that paired data. Uh, this is what it should do, or this is what it did to somebody. This is what's in it. Uh, we train a system to get really good at taking in that what's in it and predicting that what did it do. Do you feed uh, it a COA or are you like manually entering these details in? So it's not like we're giving it a, a picture or a PDF. They're scanning it just, in and it's like yeah. chomping the details. Like, it would be amazing to have a system that does that. And you could totally train the a next system iteration. to scan it and get it into the format yeah. that we utilize it. But it, it, it has to be actually uh, in, in vector format is the, is the way I would say it. But it, it, it needs to be raw data. It's input into our system in some way, shape, or form, whether it's like in a connected system like Dutchy, or they take it directly from the COA and put it into the content management system that we've built. Doesn't matter, just as long as we actually have the data programmatically available. That system gets trained, and then it's essentially an engine that we can utilize. But we can say we have this arbitrary profile 
what does it do and go forward to the network. Or we can go backwards and say, this is a pro, this is an outcome that I would like. What's the profile that might result in that outcome? And the specifics of how we actually achieve that are complicated, not really worth delving into realistically, but we can do both because of that machine learning system. And it's really the core of it. The engine is trained off of that data. And then we take a large corpus of research on the individual ingredients in the, in the profiles. I think we collect data on about 30, we have strong data on about 36 terpenes. We collect data on much, much more than that. We work with an absolutely fantastic lab in, in South California that does just some incredible work in analyzing aromatics. And we're starting to do some incredibly interesting projects with them that I'm just not allowed to talk too much about at the moment. <laughs> it's making me think, and maybe you are on this track already, but I'm just curious for your kind of hot take. I've been presented with projects where people are distilling it down to being able to take a DNA test. And there's examples of this in the marketplace already, but they're very rudimentary. And in my opinion, they're just marketing engines. It's not actually based on anything factual. But because you're actually pulling all this deep detail into your decisions of what you're actually formulating and imprinting into products, I'm just wondering, is there an application or a future where it's individual based where not mm -hmm. just because of what I feel that I need, what I think I need, but physically what my body is maybe deficient in, or is there some way, maybe a DNA test is not the right filter because it can only capture so much information about what you might be feeling, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe a DNA test is, oh, you're more inclined for pain because you were hit by a car or had a really bad sports accident. But certainly it would have detail historically if there's a certain disease that is running in your family. And then Based on what research we know about these cannabinoids, these terpenes, you can then tailor and make someone a very boutique, customized product. Is mm -hmm. that something that y'all have thought about with the things that you're researching and discovering? Has that come up in conversations? I'm just curious if that really is something that as an industry we could ever get towards is this very personalized breakdown of what mm -hmm. your body's going to respond to from a cannabis perspective. Yeah, I'll answer that in a couple of different ways. If it something that I could see happening someday through some means, definitely. I don't see any explicit barriers to that happening in an eventuality timeline. I don't necessarily trust the DNA model per se in terms of uh, like the DNA swabs. I've seen a lot of information of people like taking multiple tests of those and coming back with very large variance in the response which is, is worrying to me in terms of accuracy. So I, I suppose the best way to answer that is that as those types of tests that can tell you what your deficiencies or sensitivities are become more accurate, they will grow to become a fantastic tool for changing the way that you shop for cannabis or shop for any products realistically. And our plan to enable that type of bespoke cannabis is primarily in making it easier for you to communicate what your desired outcome or what your needs are and connecting that through to what the end formulation or end product you need is. So we're not necessarily focused on saying, oh, you person with this specific DNA yeah. need this, but we are focused on somebody who knows what they want, being able to find that. 
and absolutely support anything that allows the, the consumer to get a better concept of understanding what they want, mostly because it helps us create better products if the consumer actually understands what they need and what they want. Hey, To Be Blunt fam, it's Shada here, and I want to give a shout out to my own brand of premium cannabis products, Restart CBD. As a daily user myself, I can personally attest to the effectiveness of our cannabis tinctures, topicals, edibles, and specifically our hemp-derived Delta 9 THC offerings. Whether I'm dealing with stress, body aches, or just need a boost in focus, Restart has a product and cannabinoid that can make me feel better. And our customers have been loving Restart too. Here are some actual quotes from our fans. Juice said, customer service alone deserves a five star. Always super generous when we come here. Also very professional and knowledgeable. Why, thank you very much. We take those five stars and we raise you a high five. And then Laura said, this is the absolute best dispensary I've ever been to. It's run by three sisters who are all equally knowledgeable about every product they sell. Ah, Laura, thank you for seeing us. We really are out here acting like a sponge, just trying to soak up all the information. So if you're looking for quality cannabis products from CBD to Delta 8, and yes, even Delta 9, we got you. Head to restartcbd.com. By the way, we ship nationwide. All our products are federally legal and hemp derived. So use the code 2BTOBE at checkout to get $5 off your first order on me. Our team is dedicated to providing you with the best cannabis products on the market, and we're proud to be sponsors of To Be Blunt. Thanks for supporting my brand and my podcast, and let's all restart our day with Restart CBD. Well, isn't that the goal for everybody, right? It's you want repeatability, you want to have that customer making multiple purchases with you, and they're more likely Mm -hmm. to make multiple purchases if they have a positive experience that first or second time that they're introduced to your product, introduced to your brand. And so it's creating that stickiness by creating some sort of entryway for them to have a higher propensity of a positive experience than a negative experience. And so totally makes sense from your point of view. I get it too. It's a little bit like we have to crawl before we run. And so Mm -hmm. if we can just get people a little bit closer to knowing what they're consuming beyond the just, it's weed, it's legal, you can buy it here. (laughs) Okay, tell me more. What is the difference? And so I guess on that vein too, going into some of the examples about WANA, maybe there's some trends you can share. Maybe there's no trends, but I'm curious from some of the data that you've accumulated and going into the products. So like there's a sleep product. I think everybody even if they say that they don't have sleep issues, like they probably Everybody have sleep does. issues. So it's, yeah. oh, it's nighttime. I would like to sleep. Are there mm-hmm. other trends that are coming out in the data that you're accumulating? And has the data shifted over the years or has it just further validated these certain camps? Like people are taking it because they want to sleep. People are taking it because they want to be creative and energized. I feel like there's some go-to effects or go-to moods or go-to outcomes that are pretty generalized. And so I'm just curious, were those always then? Have they Mm -hmm. just changed or has one kind of surpassed another in terms of priority from a consumer perspective? Like, are we missing out? It's everybody, cannabis for sleep. If you just lock in on cannabis for sleep and you talk about restfulness and et cetera, et cetera, then that's how we're going to market to this new wave of people coming in. Or is it still really 
all over the board and you got to figure out how to speak to all these different uh, use cases for products. You definitely still need to be able to speak to a variety of use cases. Um, as for the typical trends in cannabis and what they are now and, and how they change, the big three are definitely sleep, anxiety, and pain. Um, but that's, that's the large majority of what people are using cannabis for, either medically or recreationally, whether or not people, people really know it. I, I would say the trend that we're starting to see more and more lately is that people are recognizing that cannabis does have some affectation in terms of focus or productivity. The concept of productive cannabis, I think, is completely foreign to people like my father, who were smokers back in you know, the 70s and 80s, um, though it's a lot more prevalent today. And that has a lot to do with the legality of the market and the ability for people to make new products. So there's a variety of reasons that's occurring. But I would say that you definitely still need to have a versatile set of products. Could you create a brand that is entirely surrounding one of those lines and be, we are the sleep product line? Totally. There's a huge market to that. And frankly, if you enter anything, you do it well, you have good marketing, you have good packaging, you'll do well. But that said, you can't just spread across everything. You need to have a concept of what your market actually wants and what your blind spots are, if you will. And that's a big part of why we do the review and survey system and the recommendation system. So the, the recommendation system not only serves to help your customers actually achieve products that they want, but every time somebody fills out that form of what they want to feel like, you get data back about what, what your customers want. And you can compare that to what's in your storefront. If you got a ton of people that are coming in saying, I want to be focused, but the large majority of your products are sedative, you have a much lower probability of keeping that consumer. On the other side, maybe you're spending a lot of time with insomnia or not insomnia with uh, sedative products, and you would be better focused actually changing your product schema because people coming into your store just looking for something that's separate from what you're selling. So the recommendation system lets you know what people actually want and can help you modify how you sell or how you produce new products. And the review system can really tell you how those products are hitting the mark or give you a finer detail of what people are feeling about specific products. Yeah, there's more people coming in and saying that they actually want sedative products in my dispensary, but what are they saying about the sedative products that I do have? So being able to pair the two systems really serves as, as some good business intelligence for, for dispensaries and allows them to make that smarter decision about what should be on shelves, what shouldn't be on shelves and who they should be focusing on. And that doesn't really even stop at the dispensary level. A lot of the software we produce is applicable not only to dispensaries, but to manufacturers and otherwise, frankly, because they're all doing the same thing. They're trying to sell a specific product to, to a specific market and they need to find who that market is and what that product is. On that, it's kind of making you think through, again, I think Juana is a great example and I've had Juana on the podcast. I've moderated panels with Joe Hodis. So they're, awesome. yeah, they're familiar for me and for the show for sure. Uh, but they are, again, very public in the way that they've built their business to some extent. And so an observation that I have about them that I'm just really curious about Budboard's overlay or interpretation of some of these entry points. Wana was 
a distillate based product mm -hmm. originally. Uh, I was just in Denver actually a couple months ago and I was in the dispensary and I'm always curious what's being sold in the dispensary and you see a trend right now. Extracts are really popular and the type of extract and so you're getting more of that full plant profile. But I think there's something to say about the distillate where you're just getting the cannabinoid, but obviously there's something to say about the terpenes, whether they're in the full plant extraction or they're being added into a distillate after the fact. Mm -hmm. I'm just curious... Does Budboard take into that consideration with the products that I guess are being referred or reviewed or recommended? Are you limited based on what your client at the dispensary perhaps is wanting to get the survey on? And then the customer, if you're, if you're validating it based on the effect they want, is the effect solely based on terpenes? Or is it taking into consideration a distillate versus a live rosin? Is it taking into consideration some of those other components that are giving the effect its actual effect? Yeah. So the when we come into trying to determine the actual outcome of a product, we do primarily focus on the terpenes. The large majority of products are purely one cannabinoid. There are mixed cannabinoid models, and they're becoming a lot more popular today. There, there is some level of change in the recommendation that needs to happen for those mixed cannabinoid models. But for the most part, a running it off the terpenes is perfectly applicable. 15% THC versus 20% THC isn't the difference in whether or not something is sedative or something is focusing. There's something else there causing that. And if you look at the next largest chemical variants in most cannabis products, that is terpenes. So our belief is that terpenes are a large portion of the effect. I don't believe they're the entirety of it. I believe a lot of it hinges off of THC and presence of other cannabinoids. But uh, I believe that the terpenes are a fantastic way to look at what the actual outcome and effect of a product might be. When we're getting data from a storefront or from a dispensary or a manufacturer, it's all based off the COA. Uh, whatever the terpene profile of it is at the time is, is what we're taking in and what we're digesting and comparing to what the outcomes that consumers feel are. It works really well for edible models because it doesn't change. It's a little shaky for other models because obviously they are horrible compounds. <laughs> crop to crop, plant to plant. Yeah, and it's great that you say that specifically because you bring up Wada's use of disclin and adding turbines to it. And I think that's, uh, frankly, the best way to do it. You know exactly how much THC you're getting in the model. You know exactly how much cannabinoid. You can control how much terpene you put in or what the terpene profile you put in is. And frankly, when you go buy fast asleep in Massachusetts, it's the same as fast asleep in New Mexico. I really hope their formulation is exactly the same in terms of cannabinoids. So that works. But at the end of the day, it's the same product across state lines. And that is the main solution and main problem that most MSOs are trying to solve. If you're a product producer and somebody that's engaged with your product in a different state is someplace else in the country and wants to engage with your product but doesn't have the same experience, that's a problem. Bud Light in New York should taste like Bud Light in New Mexico. <laughs> and, and that's a big part of what we help companies like want to do by doing the type of formulation that we do. We help them have stability in their products, have uh, repeatable outcomes for consumers and have some control over what their consumers are going to feel so that they can make really powerful marketing like the Fast Asleep. The Fast Asleep's a great product because you go into the store, you're looking for something for your insomnia, 
you see something that says asleep on it, it says what it does on the bottle and it does what it says on the bottle. And and there's very few products that are marketed like that. And the ones that want to, that are marketed like that are are really killing it. No, you have a really great point around Wana's motivation, right? They being a really great example of how to roll out an MSO model being consistent. And when you are a customer who's purchasing a product in New Mexico, you want the same effect to be when you purchase a product in Colorado to be the same effect, insert wherever you go. I think that's obviously contrasted with some of the sentiment of the industry. People are like, wow, well, distillate is distillate. But I agree with you, especially coming from the hemp side where we are playing with essentially distillates. We're playing with isolated cannabinoids. And I think that there's obviously merit to that because of what you're experiencing, what Juana's experiencing, the research that you guys have, I'm sure, poured into it is not not lost. You're seeing the dollar signs or you want to continue to do it and it's showing in the consumers, right? The consumers are being able to control that experience. Now, my follow-up question to that comes a little bit into the, I guess, science side of it, the research Mm -hmm. side of it. How do you start to make sense of it. Again, I know that linalool is more of a sleepy time cannabinoid. And so as such, if I have linalool present, I should in effect feel more sedated. But Do you know why? I, so that's what I'm going to ask. Is it based on a certain percentage of those terpenes being present? Is it those terpenes being present in combination with other terpenes, cannabinoids, flavonoids, compounds, which is where you're getting into the formulation of it? Just what is the research behind? Because I think a big aha that I'm realizing with the podcast over these years is a lot of, yes, we have research that's being done, but a lot of the research, it's not like it's been done for a year. So the application of that back on the human body long-term is a little bit like, historically, we don't know, but these 30 people over the last 30 days say that it does thumbs up for sleep. Like they had really good sleep after this product. Mm -hmm. And so then you can anecdotally deduce oh, this terpene, this percentage of it, this combination, whatever, is a good formulation to give this outcome. So I guess I'm just wondering, yeah, how do you begin to approach it from a research perspective to validate the science and then test that science to say, hey, this formulation is going to give one of that repeatability state to state when they roll those products out? Yeah. So in, in terms of the science, I think linalool is a fantastic example of, of how we can... Uh, explain how this really works right so yeah a lot of people are very well aware that linalool should be anxiolytic it's a nice sleepy time molecule uh that it's fairly sedative and i think very few people understand why or at least our modern or current understanding of potentially why is probably the better way to say that if you start to dig into the research behind linalool and what it's been observed to do in various uh human and non-human models it's, it's believed to act on the same receptors in our body that benzodiazepines do, uh, like Valid. I think Valium's a benzodiazepine. Uh, there's, there's one of the ones that starts with a V that's not a benzo, and I can never remember which one it is, and it would be hilarious to, to get the wrong one. But yeah, and Validate you, would know very little about <laughs> that realm of drugs. Yes. Benzodiazepines, are, if you're unfamiliar with them, are, are commonly prescribed in legal pharmaceutical markets for anxiety, for sleep, I think in some cases for pain, but they're very dangerous to use for pain because they tend to be addictive. That said, there's no belief that linalool is addictive because it acts in other parts of the body. But it as hits well. that same trigger, which is it why your body's responding to it. Yes. 
it, it acts on the same receptors in the same way as something else that we classically understand to be sedative. And that's why we believe that linalool is sedative. And we can repeat similar stories, not exactly the same in terms of, of you know, GABA. That's the actual GABA site is, is the site that linalool acts at or is believed to. And, and there's other receptors that, you know, common pharmaceuticals target that terpenes and cannabis happen to target as well. So starting with the why, you know, we have a deep understanding of what the actual pharmacology and pharmacokinetics of some of these compounds are and how to take control of those, how they interact with each other, how they don't. And so it's important to think about cannabis as a drug and the different components of cannabis as a drug. I will not call the terpenes a drug because if you ask a variety of different associations, drug associations and whatnot, they're not believed to be, but they do seem to exhibit some drug-like effects. And so when you take cannabis, you're not really just taking one drug. You're taking a slew of them. You're taking a, a cocktail of different compounds and the various presences of each of those compounds and weights and concentrations will change the way that your outcome is. Does that mean that you can't take a product that's just THC and just linalool and have a potentially sedated outcome? No, you'll almost certainly have that outcome, at least in the models that we've seen. But, but yeah, the mixture of different compounds, their relative ratios does seem to have an effect on it. And that's a big part of why we use machine learning. Humans are not fantastic at finding those deep hidden patterns. And that's the only thing machine learning is really good at, to be perfectly honest. So being able to decode that is a lot due to the, the machine learning side. And point. Thank you. And so when we actually do the formulation and a customer is coming to us to say, we want this outcome, we say, this is what the algorithm believes will produce that outcome. This is a bunch of research that is in either human or animal models that we think might support that outcome is what occurs. And they go, great, let's test it. They'll get some samples from our terpene manufacturer, manufacturer. they'll make some, some products, and they might even work with Ms. Fortis, who I think you had on not too long ago, yeah. one of the ones that I listened to prior. And they'll do some consumer research, some quantitative or qualitative research, and make sure that it's actually hitting the mark. Juana has done a fantastic job at that. I'm not allowed to, to speak to much more than, than the fact that they do it, but we've had a lot of success in those types of tests where somebody says, hey, I want a product that does this. We give them a formulation. They test it with a small group of people to see if it's doing it. And it commonly is. Yeah, that's obviously a kind of key component. I appreciate the plug for my episode with Laura because it is, I think, sometimes lost on our industry, and especially with her episode. She goes into way more detail of mm -hmm. some of the hurdles of which we talked about. You, you can't eat three gummies in a day and discern yes. the difference between the three gummies. It's okay, I got to do this very specifically, situationally. But even though it's more challenging, it's obviously the validation on the other end of the formulation. It's like, okay, we believe based on X, Y, or Z that this is going to be a good formulation mm -hmm. for X outcome or effect. Mm -hmm. Well, now let's actually go test it. Let's get mm -hmm. the real-time feedback from our users and then further validate that formulation before you're putting it into market. I want to know what you think about cannabis-derived terpenes versus botanical terpenes and the same any thing. difference. They're the same thing. The, if we're talking about a pure isolation, a limonene from hemp 
versus limonene from hemp or from lemon peel or sure, from cannabis. Yeah. It's the same thing. I, I'm, I'm tired of people that don't think that they're the same thing in isolation. Is there some racemic mixture stuff going on? Sure. Does it really ultimately matter all that much in the grand scheme of things? No. Now, when we talk about mixtures of terpenes, yeah, the mixture of compounds that we get from like lavender is, is not going to be terribly similar to the mixture of compounds that we get from cannabis. And if you're trying to rebuild a cannabis profile using botanics, you can get incredibly close. In fact, if you're abstracts, the lab that we work with, you can get indistinguishably close, but it's not exactly the same thing at the end of the day. There, there will be small flavonoids or sulfurous compounds that maybe you can't see in your testing or that you don't include in your recreation or recreation of it rather. So in isolation, no, there's no difference. If you're isolating limonene from lemon peel and dripping it, in, dripping it into your extract or into your concentrate and thinking that it's any different from cannabis limonene, I would call you crazy, but I would feel rude to do. You're just wrong. Is this, okay, is this? I'll call all those people crazy. It's not that I want to only have agreeability by any means. That's not the world mm -hmm. I want to live in. I think you need to have discord so that you can Agreed. through it and figure out what is the truth and, and validate it against varying opinions. I think it's so interesting though, because it is, it's a contention point, but it's also a marketing point, right? I think yes. you're seeing brands where they're coming out and they're like, mine are cannabis derived terpenes and mine are botanically derived terpenes. And it's not to say that to your delineation of it. Yes. I think if you're looking at the compound from a cannabis plant that includes terpenes and the compounds of lemon and lemon peel that yeah. includes terpenes, it is going to be a different yeah. swirl of stuff in there. But isolating that terpene Isolating that cannabinoid, obviously, you now understood mm -hmm. where I come from. My listeners certainly know that. To me, that's where I think we're, again, as an industry fighting each other when we shouldn't be fighting each other. I think they're just different parts of the industry. Like, I think there's totally a market where people want what Juana's doing. They want a distillate or they want an isolated cannabinoid and they want repeatability. They want their 10 milligrams of THC with their five milligrams of CBD with their mixture of blah, blah, blah terpenes. Package it up, put it in a tasty gummy, sell it to me across the United States. And then there's people who want the full plant, the specific extraction from whatever the cultivar is. They want to be very close to the plant coming out of the ground and smoking it, putting it in the product, whatever the case may be. I'm not saying one is right or wrong. I'm just observing that these are two different camps of an industry that are turning uh, sometimes on each other and trying to say, well, that's invalid or that's not the right way. But I think your business is helping build a foundation for having that conversation at scale using, again, Juana as this prime example of, well, Juana's very successful. And and I, I just, again, it's not to call them out, but I think a lot of people who want to argue this point don't acknowledge that a lot of the successful brands are playing in a very isolated, distillate, mm -hmm. one dimension uh, game. And that's because you can have repeatability and you can have consistency that you just simply can't when you're dealing with the plant extract. So mm -hmm. not that there's a point to that other than just, I was just curious because again, I think I'm seeing it being sold and marketed to us as a brand with our vendors. Oh, this is this and that's that. And then in turn, having to go to the consumer and explain to the consumer the differences. And it's just more, more talking in circles a little bit sometimes when I feel like we have other conversations that we could be educating people on. Like, how do you talk about how you actually want to feel? It doesn't matter how we get you there. 
apples, mm-hmm. gal apples, apples versus Honeycrisp apples or yeah, apples to oranges. It's I'm still going to get you there. You're getting your fruit salad. So it's just a very fascinating position in the industry that you're in that I'm excited to continue to see how Budboard evolves and uses what you're learning, what your machine learning is collecting, computing, and then outputting into products like what Wana is putting in the marketplace. With that, I do love to end my episodes on high notes. So what's next for Budboard? What is on the horizon? I know you mentioned there's some really cool stuff that you're working on, but you can't say specifics. So I don't know if that's what comes to mind or if there are things that you can talk about. But another spin would be, where do you see the industry going? Where do you see the customer of tomorrow interacting with cannabis, whether it's your products or or your state or something else that comes to mind? I, I see the future of cannabis being rather personalized, to be perfectly honest. Just like we've touched on in the past, a lot of consumers, the large majority of them, are, are searching for an outcome, and that outcome is personal. And that's really the exciting next set of stages for Budboard. And it's frankly not even just in cannabis. The data that we're collecting is applicable in cannabis because it comes from cannabis, but it's applicable outside of cannabis too. There's no reason that you can't have a product that doesn't get you high, but does change your mood makes you feel better, makes you feel a little bit sleepier. And having that personal choice in terms of how you want to feel with the products you consume is something that's both a personal goal and a company goal. And the next steps for us is really supporting that. You know, I I can't speak too, too much about the projects that we have currently going, but the, the outcomes of them are essentially a step forward for the ability for consumers to get a much more personal connection with their product regardless as to whether or not they're in cannabis. People are just going to need to stay tuned, find you guys on social media, follow the website and see what announcements come next. Very exciting. Very cool. Thank you, Josh, for joining me on the podcast today. I really appreciate your time and encourage everyone to connect with you. Check out your details that will be linked in the show notes below. And that's all for this episode of the To Be Blunt podcast. Thanks for tuning in, y'all. Appreciate it. That wraps up another fantastic episode of the To Be Blunt podcast, and I hope you've enjoyed the enlightening discussions and insights we've shared today. But the conversation doesn't end here. I invite you to join my vibrant community of cannabis enthusiasts, experts, and advocates. So what can you do to stay connected and get involved? First, make sure you subscribe to To Be Blunt on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. And if you've enjoyed our show, I would truly appreciate it if you could take a moment to rate and review it. Your feedback helps the podcast grow and reach more listeners like you. Next, head over to our website, www.tobebluntpod.com, where you'll find a wealth of resources, exclusive content, and our show archives. While you're there, be sure to sign up for our newsletter to stay up to date on the latest cannabis news and events. Lastly, I would love to hear your thoughts, questions, and episode suggestions. Connect with me and the show on social media. Find us on Instagram at tobebluntpod and at theshadedtorabi. Let's keep the conversation going and work together to dispel myths, break stigmas, and celebrate the incredible world of cannabis. Thanks again for tuning in, and until next time, stay curious, stay informed, and stay blunt.